Don't you tend to cringe when someone, like a friend of the family or some other well-meaning person, says something like this, He sure isn't like his dad. Or, to put it in a question format, Why aren't you more like your father? You ever heard that? Or, Why don't you act more like him, a man who was so respected? Or else, boy, he sure doesn't emulate the head of his household. Or even, your father would never have done thus and so. That has been a common refrain among many households, but I think these kinds of comparisons can be very unfair at times, and also a bit unsettling, because if you are who you are, and it isn't always fair to expect very close representations in behavior of people you're related to, or even being a very close likeness to others who are generally held in high esteem. We know, of course, that not every comparison to an earthly father is a healthy one. And yet, having acknowledged this, we are actually called upon in Scripture to rightly emulate those persons who are holy, and who are genuinely seeking to follow the Lord. For instance, Hebrews 13.7 says, Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Hebrews 13.7 Or, like the Apostle Paul wrote, Be imitators of me, as I am of Christ, 1 Corinthians 11.1. 1. Paul told the Philippians in Philippians 4.9, What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. So even though it may seem to us to be somewhat unfair at times, Scripture itself does indeed call us to live like righteous persons who can do and serve as models and as examples to emulate. And I think it's most appropriate for us then on Father's Day to ask whether or not you as an earthly father, or regardless of whether you're male or not, since we're all men and women who profess to be children of God, are you like your heavenly father? That's a good question today, isn't it? Are you like your heavenly Father. And it may seem to be uh, uh, intimidating. It may seem to be overwhelming. But I think we can ask that question. And I think Scripture gives us the answer. And the answer is, we should be. We should be like our heavenly Father. Are you like your Father? That's the title of today's message. Are you like your Father? and specifically zeroing in on you as dads as you contemplate what it means to be a father on Father's Day. And I can't imagine anybody who's here today who is a dad, who isn't contemplating the idea of what it's like not only to be a father, but how we're doing as dads. You could be a stepfather. You could be a role model of some kind, even if you don't have children even if you're not a dad, but you're a male, and you want to know what it's like to be um, a discipler of others, to be a spiritual father to others. Well, I don't think you have to look any further than Scripture itself. Even being a child of God, if you're a female in the room and you 
want to be a discipler of others. You want to be a spiritual mother. You can apply it that way. And the question that all of us need to ask ourselves is, do you emulate the one who created you and brought you spiritual life? It's a great question on Father's Day. It's a great question on Mother's Day. It's a great question, frankly, every day. Do you emulate the one who created you and brought you to spiritual life in Him? And I think wonderfully, you don't have to speculate about what exactly this might look like. Scripture gives us tremendous varieties or pictures of what God the Father is like. And as I said, indeed, the Word of God invites us to compare ourselves with what is true about our Heavenly Father in abundant ways. And so this morning, probably in just about 30 minutes or so, I want to challenge all of us, myself most including, if you want to know what being a godly, earthly father looks like, then I suggest you look at what the Bible teaches us is our Heavenly Father and what He's like. Let me give you 10 portraits this morning, and I'll go very, very fast. We'll only give a a verse or a passage or two underneath these 10 portraits, but I think what you can draw out of these portraits are implications for what your own fathering, or if you're not a father, simply a child of God who's attempting to be like the Lord God Himself, what it looks like. What are these portraits? And the first one is this. Number one, a loving, gracious father. A loving, gracious gracious Father. That's a great place to start, isn't it? To emulate our Heavenly Father who is loving and gracious. Look in your Bibles at Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. This is a great place for us to start. Matthew chapter 5. This is a place you might not automatically go to when you think about this concept because it's a context or a passage that speaks about God relating to His enemies. But notice what the Bible teaches us here in Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 43. The Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is teaching, and this is what He's saying to those who are listening. You have heard that it was said, Matthew 5, 43, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Apparently in the history of Israel, it came to be understood in their teaching, not the teaching of God Himself, and not the teaching of Jesus Himself, but in their tradition that they were called upon scripturally, and this part would be true, to love their neighbor. But not the second part, to hate your enemy. That's why Jesus says here, you have heard it was said, not that scripture said, but that your tradition says, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Notice the contrast. But, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that, here's the comparison, so that you may be sons of your Father, capital F, who is in heaven. For he, here's what he's like, he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. In other words, these are examples of how God loves His enemies. He loves His enemies because He makes His sun rise on the evil and on the good, on the just and the unjust. Verse 46, For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? In other words, it's easy to love those who love you. It's much more difficult to love those who hate you. 
He says, do not even the tax collectors do the same? In other words, those who are the dregs of society, who extort you for money and you hate them, uh, don't they turn around and, and, and love their enemies or seemingly so? Verse 47, and if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? In other words, there are uh, the rat packs, shall we say, who take care of their own. And yet, what should you be doing to your enemies? You, you love those who love you. You love those who are kind to you. But what do you do to those who hate you? You, therefore, must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. And who is he, especially toward his enemies? Loving. He's a loving God. Loves his enemies. Now, does he love them in exactly the same way that he loves his own, his elect, his bride, the church? No. And I could use the analogy to say something like this. I am to love all people. I'm to love all women. But I am to especially love my wife. And I do. And so there is a difference here. That God has an an extending love of graciousness and mercy toward his elect. But he also, to be sure, loves his enemies. And we are to love them as well. We're to be loving. If you want to be like your Father in heaven, be loving. Be loving. Be gracious. Be kind. Look at Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians 2. This is, this is how to be loving and gracious and kind. This is what God is like. If you want to see a wonderful example, in fact, the greatest example of all of being loving and kind, look at Ephesians 2, verse 4. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love which, with which He loved us, that's believers, that's the bride of Christ, even when we were dead in our trespasses, in other, words, in other words, even when we hated Him, He was rich in mercy when He came to us and He loved us and He loved us with Christ by the cross of Christ. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, He, God, made us alive together with Christ By grace you have been saved. And he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Yes, that's the kind of God we ought to emulate. That's the kind of heavenly father that we ought to be like. One who is rich in mercy. In fact, so much so, look at chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, be imitators of God. That's a command. Be imitators of God as beloved children. If you are a child of God, if you call God your father, then you ought to emulate him. You ought to be an imitator of him. In verse 2, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. God is loving, gracious, kind. And we ought to emulate him dads if you want to if you want to be like your heavenly father then be loving and gracious to your children number two a kind giving father that's the second portrait a kind giving father go back to matthew and look at that same sermon on the mount in matthew chapter 7 
I love this one especially. My kids have heard me say it all of their lives. What father would not want to give good gifts to his children? They even laugh at me when I say that because they've heard it so often. This is, this is what it means to be like God, dads. Matthew chapter 7, verse 7. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. In other words, pray and ask God. In fact, that little word ask is actually an acronym, right? Ask, seek, knock. A-S-K. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who finds, and, uh, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. And then notice this analogy, this, this comparison. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? In other words, if you're a, a kind, giving father, when your son comes to you and says, will you give me some bread, you won't turn around and give him a stone, would you? The rhetorical answer, of course, is no, absolutely not. Uh, You couldn't classify a person. You couldn't define a person as a loving, kind dad if he gave his son a stone for bread. Or if he asks for a fish, we'll give him a serpent. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, your heavenly Father, who, who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask Him? That's, that's the illustration. That's the comparison. If you want to be a, a, a kind, giving, earthly Father, then look at your heavenly Father. When, when his sons and daughters ask him for, for bread, they don't, they don't receive a stone. When, when, they, when they ask for fish, they don't, they don't get a serpent. I mean, how cruel. How cruel would that be? No, when, when your kids come to you, if it's within reason, of course, Dad, I want a Maserati. If, if, if they come to you within reason and they ask you in, in, in graciousness and kindness themselves... What's the heart of a dad? Of course you want to give it to them. If it's within your power, you want to give it to them. And you want to give it to them kindly and givingly because it's your heart. This is the heart of any dad. Of course it is. Number three, not just a loving, gracious father, not just a kind, giving father, but a long-suffering, forgiving dad. A long-suffering, forgiving father. Luke 15, Luke chapter 15. This, of course, may be the very passage that you would have assumed that I would have gone to, to speak about a forgiving father. But the whole chapter of Luke 15 really teaches this, the idea of the forgiveness of God. You have the parable of the lost sheep. Uh, Verse 4, what man of you, having a hundred sheep... If he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it. And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I found my sheep that was lost. 
Verse 7 of Luke 15, Just so, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. In other words, you rejoice. Heaven is rejoicing at even one individual who repents of their sin. God is in heaven rejoicing when the sinner repents parable of the lost coin verse 8 of luke 15 or what woman having 10 silver coins if she loses one coin does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it and when she has found it she calls together her friends and neighbors saying rejoice with me for i found the coin that i had lost just so jesus says i tell you there is joy before the angels of god over one sinner who repents And then how about this third parable, the parable of the prodigal son, and you know it well. The son lives in profligacy. He goes out, he demands his inheritance from his dad. He's very ugly toward his dad. And he goes out and he lives in a disrepute condition and he has to to do so because he squandered all of his money and he lives such a profligate life and dishonors his father. And yet when he finally comes to his dad... And he says in verse 21, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Notice again the contrast. But, verse 22, the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate for this My son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, and they began to celebrate. You notice what's the key in each of those parables? One, two, three, joy, joy, celebrate. Why? Because God the Father is so long-suffering and so willing to forgive that when these lost things or a lost person like this profligate son comes home. The dad has such a long-suffering, patient, forgiving heart. Have you been cruel to your kids? Been cruel to them? Unforgiving? Harsh? Vindictive? What's something to think about on Father's Day, isn't it? You want to be this loving, gracious Father. You want to be a kind and giving Father. You want to be a long-suffering, forgiving Dad. And especially when the son or daughter comes home and said, I've torn up my life. I'm not even worthy to be called your son. No longer worthy am I called to be your daughter. And the heart of those parables is the joy at the discovery of repentance and the forgiveness of God. That's what these parables are designed to instruct us to know, to believe, to live out. What better way to emulate your Heavenly Father than to be a long-suffering, forgiving person? Not just in general, but particularly when your own kids come and say, Dad, I've messed up. Forgive me. What father wouldn't want to rush like this, this man and, and, and kill the fatted calf and, and, and put the robe around him and, and, and do everything to celebrate 
because my son has come home. Surely I forgive. I mean, what father would be worth his salt when the son comes home and says, forgive me, and it's genuine repentance. Not a sham repentance, but it's genuine. And he comes home, and he's contrite, and he's willing to live as a hired hand and not a son. And the father comes up to him and says, yeah, I've been waiting for you to come home. And you're going to get the lashes you deserve. No, in fact, the father does the opposite. He runs to his son. And he embraces him in forgiving love. Number four. Number four. Let's call him a spiritual, truthful father. Not just a loving, gracious, kind-giving, long-suffering, forgiving father, but also a spiritual, truthful father. You know, this is who our Heavenly Father is because in John chapter 4, In John chapter 4 and verses 23 and 24, you remember when we studied that, we're going through the Gospel of John on Sunday mornings, and in John chapter 4, verses 23 and 24, this is what the Scripture says. But the hour is coming, according to Jesus, and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit. He doesn't have a body. He's a spiritual being. He doesn't have flesh and bones. And those who worship Him, the ones who do have flesh and bones, must worship Him in spirit and truth. In other words, your worship must be spiritual worship, and your truth must be true truth. Not the world's definition of truth. God's truth. The biblical definition of truth. You and I are called upon to worship a spiritual God, a God who is spirit, and we are called upon to worship God according to His rules, according to His definitions, according to His principles. In other words, if you want to be like your Father, then be spiritual. Be spiritual and be a truth seeker. Number five, a comforting and merciful father. A comforting and merciful father. Second Corinthians chapter 1. It's not hard for us. Here's what you can see that I did this week. I went through the Scripture and I started looking at as many passages as I could which define for us as earthly dads how to be like our heavenly Father, right? 2 Corinthians chapter 1, this is what it says in verses 3 and 4. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort. If you're a Christian, you know that's the kind of Father you serve. He's the what? The Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. Is that encouraging to anybody? Is that encouraging to you? That that's the kind of God we have? He is the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. Anybody up for that? Anybody want to serve a God like that? I do. I mean, how terrible, how ghastly would it be If we were saying to ourselves, here's the God I have. He's a God who begrudges my worship. He's a God who's full of wrath and no mercy. And he's a God who's never given me one bit of comfort. Oh yeah, that's the God I want to serve. 
it's foolish. And what does He do with His mercies and His comfort? Verse 4, Who comforts us in all our what? Our affliction. Some of you are being afflicted. Some of you have heard even this week or last week, you have cancer. You know, that, that dreaded doctoral sentence, right? You're, you're sitting across the desk from the man with the, with the white coat and the stethoscope. He, he's that authority. He's the one who is seemingly the person who's going to tell you about your life and its immediate future and your prognosis. And he says you have cancer. Or what about that damaged relationship? That person to whom you are greatly struggling or who is greatly struggling with you. Or just the, the pain of life itself. Growing old. I'm going to be 56 in a few days. And for some of you oldies but goodies, you say, that's just a young whippersnapper. Some of you are saying, wow, that's really old. And you know, I'm, I've got mixed emotions about it myself. But you know, the more you age, the more you think about it. And the more you think about it, the more you should. Because eternity awaits. And in all the vicissitudes and challenges and struggles and trials of life, whatever they may be, including physical, relational, whatever it is, and in whatever form it comes, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. He gives you the comfortable supply of mercy, of grace. Anybody want a God like this? You say yes. Well, if you do, that God is calling upon you to live like He lives, to be like He is a comforting, merciful father. Number six, a consistent, patient father. A consistent, patient father. A comforting, merciful one. A spiritual, truthful father. A long-suffering, forgiving father. A kind, giving father. A loving, gracious father. And a consistent, patient one. James 1. James chapter 1, verse 17. James 1, 17. This is the definition of a consistent, patient father. James 1.17 Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Our Heavenly Father is utterly consistent. Oh, what a what a father to draw to in the midst of a whole bunch of fathers like you and me, representatives of his on the earth who are vacillating, who are inconsistent, and who are oftentimes not patient at all. 
I suppose that's why Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4, and Colossians 3.21 says about fathers, now fathers, raise your children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. That kind of Lord. The, the kind of Lord who gives every good gift and every perfect gift, it comes down from Him, the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation and no inconsistency. I mean, I know what it's like, because I'm a dad, to be inconsistent. To say one thing and do another. To promise something and not deliver. And sometimes when, when it comes about, and it comes about in an illustration or an incident or a situation in which you and I had the best of intentions as a dad. Oh, I want to give so many good gifts. And then you realize, I overpromised and I underdelivered. That's not our God. That's not our God. He's the kind of God with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. He's utterly consistent. Now here's the challenge. Be like that. Be like that, dads. Be like that. And you say, it's impossible. And I say, yes, it is. Yes, it is. But it doesn't take away the striving. It doesn't take away the command. It doesn't take away the opportunity. However discouraged you and I might be as earthly dads, the standard stands. Still there. It's who our God is. And that's why Paul can say, Ephesians 5.1, be imitators of God. And you know when you read a passage like that, it comes across your eyes and you say, I can't live up to that. I can't do that. Be imitators of God. It's foolhardy. Who can live like that? And the answer is, it's nevertheless a command. And God will never give you a command that He does not also give you His Spirit to carry out. It's a command to be obeyed. This is not an either or. This is not a, it's not a situation of a give and take. It's a command to be obeyed. And we have a consistent, patient Father. Number seven, we have a working, sanctifying Father. We have a working, sanctifying Father. Philippians chapter 2. Philippians 2, and I hope you're writing these down, both the principles and also the passages so that you can look over them. Maybe this afternoon, maybe this evening, we're not going to have an evening service so that you can reflect, think about being this kind of father. Or maybe even to thank God that you had a father who approximated these things. Philippians chapter 2, verse 12, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, Paul says, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation. We might say work out your own sanctification, your holiness, for that is the context in which this word salvation means. Work out your holiness with fear and trembling. Notice this. For it is God, God the Father, who works in you. There's the working. He's a working Father, both to will and to work for His what? His good pleasure. God is at work in you, sanctifying you. I know that's a big word. Sanctifying just means be holy. He's working in your life, Christian, 
to make you holy, to make you more like him. Now, when someone comes along and says, but how can I be consistent in the midst of my inconsistency? How can I be consistent like God is consistent? There's no variation, no shifting shadow when I'm so inconsistent, when I'm not God. I'm not like him. I know I'm commanded to be like him, but I'm not like him and it's discouraging for me. And how do I do it? I seem to take three steps forward, then two steps back. How can I work to do this? And the answer is, for it is God. God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. God's at work in you. He's doing the work, not apart from you, with you. It's a synergistic work. He's doing his work by his spirit in you, for you, through you, for his good pleasure. It is to his praise and pleasure that he's working on you and in you and through you so that you might do the work. And there might be somebody who comes along and says, yeah, but it's hard, and I don't like this, and I'm grumbling, and I'm disputing. And that's why the next verse, verse 14, says, do all things without grumbling or questioning. (laughs) That you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. And that might be where someone closes their Bible and says, it's too much, I can't do it. I'm to be blameless and innocent? A child of God? I'm supposed to be uh, an earthly dad or an earthly mom without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom I, I, the dad, the mom, is to shine as a light in the world? Yes. That's what it says. That's what you're supposed to do. That's what I'm supposed to do. And then you and I are quickly saying, but my power's running out. I don't seem to have the will to work in my good pleasure as the God who is at work in me for His good pleasure. And you know what? He knows your frame. He knows your failings. He knows your faults. And He's determined, all determined, all consuming determination to bring about your holiness. And He will stop at nothing even though it hurts. And His pleasure will ultimately bring about your pleasure because that's what you want. You want to be a working, sanctified person, especially as an earthly dad, and the leadership position that you hold, dads, in your home, that's why on a Sunday afternoon, when you're tired, dads specifically, when you're tired, and yet you're either a member of this church or you're a member of another church and you know they have the Sunday evening service, here's what you do. After your nap, you get up and you announce to your children, to your wife, we're going back to church. Oh, no, Dad, please. No, that's what we're going to do. You know why? Because we might hear a message that will change the rest of the course of our life. We're going to show up. We're going to pray. We're going to sing with the saints. We're going to fellowship with one another. We're going to give of our financial resources. We're going to meet a need. We might have a conversation that will change the rest of the course of our life. Or, how about Sunday morning? Really early. And someone comes along and says, Church, good morning. Hello, we're going to church. And you're that child. And you know it like I know it. And you're going, I'm so tired. I don't want to go to church. I don't want to do this. And you know what? That's the attitude you had with your boss. You wouldn't be working much longer. But we seem to have a free pass, don't we? 
when it comes to church. We have a free pass when it comes to serving others. We have a free pass when it comes to doing the will and the work of God's good pleasure. And we want to grumble and question. And yet it says that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and perverse or twisted generation. No, this is a working, working, sanctifying God. He's consistent. He's patient. He's comforting. He's merciful. He's spiritual. He's true. He's kind. He's giving. He's long-suffering, forgiving. He's loving. He's gracious. And I'm supposed to be like that? Yes. And when you are... You're becoming holy. You're becoming like Him. Number eight, a correcting, chastising father. Oh, and here's, here's where we start, stop preaching and start meddling. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 5, here's our God. Have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when you are reproved by Him, For the Lord disciplines the one he loves, and he chastises every son whom he receives. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 5 and 6. God is a correcting, chastising father. You know, when we get in that spiritual lethargy, that laziness, we don't want to get up, we don't want to serve, we don't want to do what's right, then our loving, gracious, kind, giving father says, Do I need to bring the rod? Do I need to bring the rod? Verse 7, Hebrews 12, 7. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? Look, I'm into the gifts. I'm into the love. I'm into the mercy. I'm into the grace. Pour it on, God. Give it to me. I love it except when I step out of line. When I don't do what I know I'm supposed to do. And then I don't want the discipline. And yet the Bible says, for what son is there whom his father, that is a faithful father, does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in other words, if your father never disciplines you, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Look, here's the... Here's the run of the place. If you're my son, you'll be disciplined. Now, I'll love you. I'll care for you. I'll hug you. I'll kiss you. I'll tell you a hundred times I love you, and I want you to do well, and I'm going to be cheering you on, and it's true, and it's going to be all the fun and all the goodies and all the encouragement and all the exhortation. But when you step out of line, I've got to discipline you because in some ways you will learn no better. You will learn no better. Why? Because we can become lazy and slothful, and arrogant, and boastful, and proud, and insensitive. So, if you have a father, an earthly father, who never, ever, one time ever disciplined his son, how can that father lay claim that he has a son? You really can't. And certainly, if you thought you could lay claim to a son that you never disciplined, you don't love them. You don't love them. You don't care about them. Because when you see in the face of their wickedness, you do nothing. Remember Eli, the the priest, with his sons, Hophni and Phinehas? And and, and they, they never did the right thing, and Eli never disciplined his sons, the Bible says. And he was disciplined for it. Besides this, verse 9 of Hebrews 12, we had earthly fathers who disciplined us, 
and we respected them. You say, boy, if I spank that child, if I do that thing, he's going to reject me. He's going to say, you're a bad dad. You don't love me. Why are you hitting me? Why are you correcting me? Why are you challenging me? Why are you chastising me? Why, why, why? If you really loved me, you'd give me all the goodies. No, son, it is because I love you that I discipline you. And the Bible says right here that if you do this, they will respect you. Just the other day, I had one of my own come to me and say, Dad, thank you. I get it now. Having kids of my own, thank you. I get it. I understand why you did what you did now. I didn't always understand then, and I didn't like it, but now I'm coming to the place where I get it you are to be respected because you loved me and you corrected me at the same time. We had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not more, much more, be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they, earthly fathers, disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. But He, our heavenly Father, disciplines us for our good that we may share His what? His holiness. Discipline is the path to holiness. For the moment, the the moment you're in the discipline, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later... It yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. It's a training process. Our Heavenly Father disciplines us, and we as earthly fathers discipline our sons. It's a training process. You've got to bring the training on there. Why? Because if you're not a correcting, chastising father, you are going to have a son, according to the book of Proverbs, who is out of control and he shall become what that book, the book of Proverbs, calls an unbeliever, a non-Christian. And you know what that book calls them, among other things? A fool. A fool. You say, well, what does that discipline look like? Well, it looks like a lot of things. We could spend a lot of time talking about what it looks like. But one thing it does look like is the discipline of a loving, correcting father who trains his son so that he might enjoy ultimately even if later on the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Number nine, a wise and gentle father. A wise and gentle father. One book over, James chapter 3, verse 13. This is what it says. We are to be wise. James chapter 3, verse 13. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes from above. That comes from below. Uh, this is earthly wisdom, unspiritual wisdom, demonic wisdom. For where, where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. But the wisdom from above, the wisdom from our Heavenly Father, is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. That's, that's our great God. This this. 
This is a series of attributes about our great God and His above wisdom. It's a wisdom that's pure and peaceable and gentle and open to reason. It's logical. It makes sense. It's full of mercy. It yields good fruits. It's impartial. It's sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. If you want that kind of heavenly wisdom, the kind of wisdom that's from above, the kind of wisdom that's from your wise and gentle Father, you shall be wise. Dads, is this not an exhortation for you to get your head into the book? The Bible, God's Word. How often do you bathe yourself in it? How often is your rumination in the book? Do you hardly ever read your Bible? And yet you're called upon to discipline and correct and love and nurture these kids? And you don't go to the very book that tells you how to do it? Come on. Give yourself some help. This is God's word and wisdom. And it's a wisdom that's pure and peaceable and gentle and open to reason and full of mercy and good fruits and impartial and sincere. You've got to have that kind of wisdom. You've got to cry out for it. You've got to meditate on God's word. You've got to memorize it. You've got to love it. You've got to listen to it. You've got to believe it. You've got to defend it. You've got to know it in your heart so that when that son comes to you and says, Dad, what about this and what about that? And the world says this, what do you say? And there is no problem with you saying, I don't know, but let me get in this book and I'll get back with you. Right? No problem with that. It's very humble and very wise to be able to say, look, I'm, I'm not sure. Let's dig into the Word together. Let's find it out. Let's, let's do what our wise and gentle Father does. And out of the wellspring of His wisdom, He gives it to us and we go to Him and ask. Number 10 a holy, righteous Father. This one's easy. 1 Peter 1. 1 Peter 1. Be holy, for I am holy. Be holy, for I am holy. Verse 15. But he who has called you is holy. You also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on him as Father, who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. You want to you have a holy, righteous father? Yes, I do. Then if you do, it's a package deal. He comes to you and says, then be holy for I am holy. You say, well, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure I'm, I'm bargaining for that point. No, it's a package deal. God is holy. And he will one day call upon you to give an account for your holiness. And since none of us can stand on our own in holiness at all, for any reason, because if you sin at one point, you're guilty of breaking the entire law of God, then you better do it His way. And His way is to believe in His Son, Jesus Christ. Who, by the way, is the perfect representation of His heavenly Father. That's what Hebrews 1 says. He's the exact representation of 
the Father. You know, those disciples, those beloved knuckleheads of Jesus, they were following him for three, three and a half years, and they would do what he said sometimes, and sometimes they wouldn't understand what he was saying. And at one point, Philip says, Lord, show us the Father. And Jesus, gentle, caring, patient, says, Philip, how long have I been with you? Have you not seen the Father? Look at me. Look at who I'm representing. Look at what I'm doing. I have shown you the Father. This is all you need. You know, I hear sometimes people say, when I die, I want to see God. And you will. If you're a Christian, you will see God. And who will you see in heaven? You'll see Jesus Christ. Because Jesus Christ is God. No, I want to see the Father. He has no flesh and blood. I want to see the Holy Spirit. He has no flesh and blood. The only person that you need to see is the person of Jesus Christ because He's the exact representation of the Father and it is good for us. It is sufficient. And the thing that God will give us is Jesus Christ, the perfect example. So if you want to know how to be like your Heavenly Father, be like Christ. For He is just like the Father. Let's bow together in prayer. Father, may we indeed see you. May we? Yes, we will, through Christ, through his shed blood, and through the forgiveness of our sins, even as we celebrate now the Lord's Supper. If there are those of you who are here who are genuinely believers in Jesus Christ, you've repented of your sins, you've placed your faith squarely and only and completely and unreservedly upon the death of Jesus Christ, His burial, His rising from the dead, His Lordship, the Lordship and owner of your life, not only as your Creator, but as your Redeemer and Savior, then by all means, partake of the Lord's Supper with us now. If you have never bowed your knee to Jesus Christ, or if you know in your heart you're living in open rebellion against Him, then even if you refrain as you should from the Lord's table, you still can come to God. There is time. You're here. You're breathing. You're alive by His mercy. And you can receive Him even today. Respond to Him even today. May you do so for His honor and for the sake of your salvation. Father, I pray for dads. I pray that you would cause all of us who struggle with being the kind of dad that has been portrayed of our Heavenly Father today. And yet there is grace and mercy. And even as the dew on the morning grass is a sign, according to Lamentations 3, of God's ever-faithfulness, 
then He can take us up. Even the crushed, disobedient, failing dads like myself and others who want to be the dads that You have created us to be, that You've called us to be. And we can champion these attributes of our Heavenly Father with new resolve because we love You and we want to be righteous and holy before You. Give us strength. Work Your work of good pleasure in us. And as we partake of the bread and cup, impart to us grace to be the dads You've called us to be. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. Men, come before us and receive the bread and the cup. All of the children are going to come in. And as they come in, do not worry about kids and their screaming. Do not worry about laughter. This is the body. And as they come in, and as the men pass the cup, this will be an excellent opportunity for some of these kids who have never seen a communion service. And we're going to do this, and then we're going to have a wonderful video to conclude our service. And if, when these men, as they go about passing out the bread, in the center of the offer, uh, of the um, communion plate are allergy-free elements, that if you need that, there are many allergies. If you need those, they're in the center. The ones on the side are regular. So if you need that, one of our servants has worked long and hard to place those allergy-free uh, elements in that, that communion plate. So if you need that, you take that, the rest of you. If you're a Christian, whether you're a member of our church or not, you are welcome to receive the bread and the cup. As these elements are passed, on the screen is a song that I want to sing. Number three in your small hymnal, it's going to be on the screen. I'll follow in the hymnal. Number three, Alas, and did my Savior bleed. Alas, and did my Savior bleed, and did my Sovereign die? Would He devote that sacred head for such a worm as I? Was it for sin?
notice that. Your chosen, precious child. On a day like Father's Day, is there not a greater testimony to the grace of our Father in heaven who has said, yes, through Christ, you are my chosen, precious child. That's the case with you if you are a child of God. This bread is emblematic of that which our Savior did to connect us to the Father so that He would be our Heavenly Father and we would be His chosen, precious child. If you believe that, let's take this bread now together. Father, You are the grand of all the fathers. And we thank You for the gift of Jesus Christ and the shedding of His blood and the giving up of His sacrificial life and voluntary death on our behalf. We pray now that as we take this cup emblematic of Your blood for the forgiveness of our sins, we would truly bask in the glory of the Father for us through Christ. Amen. And then the men will distribute the cup, and as they do, page 16, beneath the cross.
Notice in both the songs, talking about being children of God, being a part of the family of God. That's really, I think, the genius behind the providence of God when He takes us and in human imagination we come up with the celebration of holidays like Mother's Day and Father's Day. It's the genius of God, really. In His providence, He allows us in His world to create special days in which we can focus not merely on being a father or a mother, but we can translate that to our Heavenly Father. And we can translate that even when the Apostle Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 2, that how as a tender mother nurses her babies, and as an imploring father encourages and corrects and implores his sons, then we can be that way toward each other in the shepherding of the family of God, always looking to our Heavenly Father as the one who gently shepherds and the one who imploringly beseeches. And in this blood, emblematic in this juice, our God and Father had a plan. And Ephesians says that God who is rich in mercy, this God who, who according to Isaiah 53, was the kind of God where it says, He was pleased to crush His Son. He gave up His only Son in sacrificial death for us so that we could become sons and daughters of the Most High through the forgiveness of sins by the shedding of His blood. If you rejoice in that, let's do it together. Father, we are so grateful. We are so elated that You have given us the privilege of knowing You and of being Your child and of being a part of a family, the family of God. I ask, Heavenly Father, that as we focus today on our dads and be so thankful for them that we would never lose sight of who you are as our ultimate example incomparable and unique in so many ways but in other ways commanding us to be like you as we watch this video as we see the sights and hear the sounds of fathering on an earthly level. May it challenge us to be forever faithful like you are faithful. We pray these things through your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Calling all fathers, 
Thanks to Beth and Lucas for putting that together. See, you, you don't know how much we study your faces <laughs> at our house. We are thankful for our church family and thankful for you and for all of you as dads. 
We have canceled our service for tonight because we want you to focus on being a dad, enjoying your family. We're going to have a little bit of a, of a meal at our place as well with our family and friends with us. We want you to do the same. So no service tonight. If you know of anybody who's not here, please remind them about no service tonight. Next Sunday, I will not be here. I'll be in Fort Worth, Texas. I'm going to be doing a biblical counseling conference. I'll be doing four sessions on Saturday and then preaching on Sunday morning at a church in Texas. And you will have Mike Hilliger, who's here this morning, who will be preaching next Sunday on 1 Peter 2. And then we'll have Jim Hines on Sunday night preaching from Colossians chapter 3. So I know you'll enjoy that as well. Now, VBS signups. We might not have made ourselves particularly clear about VBS signups, but let us be so clear. Would you please sign up? Okay? If you've got children that you want to be a part of VBS, please, we beg of you today, please sign up. Okay? You see Jim Vinci in the back? He's got the, the, the beautiful tie. Jim, right there. His wife, Jen, next to him. Mads, right next to her. If you will please bless these people by signing up, okay? They, they really need to go. They really need... And yeah, if you, if you register these kids for VBS and if you as a congregation, we still need you, okay? This VBS will not be what it needs to be if we don't have your help, okay? So please sign up for that. And then look at all the regular ministry schedules through the weekly. Meet new guests. And if you go through these double doors, instead of out those doors, there are some refreshments right there, okay? Thank you for being with us today. God bless you. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for our time. Thank you for these dear people. Thank you for those who've traveled long and far to be with us. Thank you for those who are first-time guests. May they see and feel and understand the love of Christ through the ministry of the saints. Thousand Oaks Bible Church, we love them and we want to reach out to them. Thank you for giving us great dads. We pray that we would emulate you, Heavenly Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. About the man that I became and hope that it pleased him. There's so much I want to say, so much I want you to know. Love more than this song.